0: Well, good morning, everybody. Well, good morning, everybody. We hope you're all doing well this week. Uh, I just want to give you kind of an update. Our plan is to come back in October, and we'll let you know more about uh, all those ins and outs of of what that's going to look like. But starting in October, we will be back together on uh, campus here. Uh, We're we're not quite sure all the details, but we're working on it. So uh, keep praying for that. Uh, uh, Pray that we can come back as as a body of Christ and fellowship together. Now, also, uh, speaking of prayer requests, uh, one of the things I just found out uh, literally right before uh, I came on today to do this is my brother called me and he lives uh oh i think out near atlanta he the reason why i don't know is he just moved Uh, i think it's birmingham Um, but uh, he just moved from tampa uh, literally in the past two weeks and he had to go to the doctor because his arm and leg and all that was going numb and found out he's going to have to have neck surgery where they have to take out a couple of discs and so forth so um So, you know, of course, he's kind of, you know, in that worry mode. So please pray for him. His name is Joshua. Uh, Ironic, we're going through the book of Joshua. But uh, pray for him as well and his wife, Sarah, and uh, the kids and so forth. So uh, it's definitely a, a... Definitely a time where, where that frustration, that uh, not knowing, that anxiety kind of ramps up, so as we would all have. So pray that the Lord would take that down and, uh, and uh, minister to Him. In fact, why don't we begin with the word of prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for many things in this life. And uh, although, uh, you know, I'm thinking of my brother Joshua, uh, we're thankful that you're in the middle of this situation, that we are believers. We pray that you would just watch over him, that you would take that anxiety down that you would be there for him, that you would help him through this process, him and his family, and protect him. Uh, Pray for the doctors and nurses who go in to uh, help with his surgery, that you would just watch over them and bless them during that time. And Lord, we, we pray for the body of Christ. Those that are meeting online only those that are that are you know meeting as a church body back on campuses, those that are inside that are outside, there is no one answer to all of this, Lord, other than that you are in control and we we thank you for being in control. We praise you in, no matter what the situation is. We pray this morning as we get into the book of Joshua, that we can learn something from this man who had so much strength who had so much courage, who had so much faith that that as he uh, as he learned from his, his mentor, Moses, that we can learn from those that are around the church that, that can mentor us as we walk through this valley, as we go into our promise, as Joshua goes in his promise, that you would teach us along the way. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get into Joshua. Joshua 1.1 this morning. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is eight. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where your foot stepped or that you're, you're, you, know, you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will will extend from the desert to to Lebanon and from the great river of Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea of the west. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all your days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to my forefathers uh, to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it, from the right or to the left, that you may be success, uh, successful wherever you go. Verse 8, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. De- meditate on, on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, last time we started here, and we didn't do a lot of verses, but but there was a lot of background that we needed to kind of get back in, you know, our minds into this to understand it, to understand the intensity of what Joshua was going to going through, the intensity of, of what God was saying to, to Joshua. These words have an intensity to them. As I promised you, or have I not commanded you, or be strong and courageous. For Israel, this is amazing. To be the generation that goes into the promise. Made hundreds of years back, 40 years in the wilderness, 400 years in Egypt, and now they are the generation. They are the generation that enters into. They're sitting there going, we get to go across the Jordan. Imagine the conversations. Honey, honey, is it really us? We get to do this? This is, this is amazing to them. Children, children, hopefully you understand. It's been so long. You, I don't think you grasp what God is doing here. We get to go into the promised land. So I'm trying to, trying to relate to this. And all I could think of, you know, all I could think of was, was really two things the changing of the centuries and the computer age. The way everybody was talking, I mean, what was going to happen? When I was graduating high school in 1989, we were like dot matrix printers and that was a big deal. You got to go to the computer lab. When I went into college, you know, all the students were, you know, we had a paper due. We had to go to the computer lab and type it all out and save it on a five and a half inch floppy disk. I mean, when they came out with three and a half inch, it was exciting, you know? But you couldn't imagine the world changing the way it, way it has been. And, and think about the year 2000. Y2K. Where were you for, for that? Man, I was, I was back in Houston at that point. And, and, and last year was my 30-year reunion, how time has, flaw, you know, flown. But, but I can remember Y2K, we're in a friend's house celebrating, uh, you know, the turn of the century. And, and uh, me and a, a friend went to the fuse box, and everybody was counting down, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And we waited about three and a half to four seconds, and we flipped all the fuses in the box. And the place just goes dead silent for about 10 to 15 seconds and finally somebody looked out a window and said hey why is the light why is the street light on and then there was a big laugh and they understood somebody you know that we had gone and done this it was you know it was was a lot of fun but uh, but imagine all the stuff that's happened at y2k and since then imagine all the computer stuff i mean we're, we're also the generation of of computers no time else in history have things changed so quickly, and we get to experience it. My sons know more about the computer now than I could have ever imagined. Even my five-year-old is understanding and playing Minecraft. It's crazy. Now, he's watching his older brother and learning from that, but I mean, imagine the change. Well, this generation of Israelites are are, kind of going through this type of change. The Lord tells him, have I not promised you. And the Lord always keeps His promise. Now, it may not be in our timing. Oh, how we wish it was in our timing. But He always keeps them. He made promises to Abraham. Centuries later, they come true. And this generation for Israel gets to see this. This is a big deal for Israel. But imagine what Joshua is feeling. Joshua has acted as the assistant for all these years, and Moses goes up to the mountaintop, and God comes and tells Moses, I mean <coughs> tells Joshua, Moses is dead. The scriptures say that the, the last thing that Moses did was climb a mountain. That's pretty crazy. You know, a friend of mine, uh, um, Bryce Jessup had just passed away. He, he was a president of, of San Jose Christian College, and then it became William Jessup University, and I got the privilege of working with the man and working along beside him, but working for him for a while. When I was at San Jose Christian College, I graduated, went back to school, get schooling, and went to seminary, and I worked for the college and every year, you know, every at that point, every year he was going every summer up to ten thousand foot level up in Yosemite and and uh, and fishing and just loved it up there. And and then then as he got older, it would be every five years, and then it got to be every ten years. And he just went back up there with his son Jim, and they were were up there at the lake. And Jim went off to do something, and literally, Bryce Jessup passed away right there at the 10,000-foot level, enjoying what he had always enjoyed up on the mountain. And that's what Moses did. He climbed the mountain, and the last thing that happened was he died up there. Then God says, okay, Moses is dead. Now this is what I want you to do. And if you read the Scriptures, you don't get the feeling that Joshua wanted to be the top dog. He was not impatient for it. His actions, his attitude show that, that he was trustworthy, that he was not seeking something else that was not his. And the Lord says, okay, now I want you to be the one in charge. He experienced this life for a reason. He had, he had watched and, and participated for a reason. And God was saying, you were at Sinai for a reason. I took you to the tent of the meeting for a reason. You stayed there for a reason. I let you hear Moses and I talking for a reason. This is not just to to let you have a feel-good moment about yourself. I had a purpose. And now it's time for you to become that leader. Many times in Joshua's life, he needed to be strong and courageous, as the Scripture will say, over and over again. Coming out of Egypt was one. He was a firstborn son. And the sons of Egypt are, you know, the first son, the the, the top dog of of the family. They're they're dying all around him. I wonder if he wondered if he was going to die. Did they put the blood on the doorposts the right way? Did my parents do that the right way? And then he he goes on. He was picked as a young commander of Israel's army, yet it really wasn't an army, you know. As the Amalekites attacked them. And for Joshua to see the, the Lord winning battles for them. Battles that he knows that they should have lost. Not like he was a rookie. He had seen God in action. He would felt God's presence. He had experienced it. And now he's graduating to a whole new level of ministry. Back at the place he was at 40 years before. Imagine the feeling. Because 40 years ago, The Lord had taken them from across the desert, taken them, you know, it took them a while to get across, a purifying time, kind of get Egypt out of their system, and right up to the edge of the promise, and the Israelites looked at the promise, and they sent 12 guys in, and one of those guys was Joshua, a young leader picked from the tribe. They went in and they spied out the land. They came back and they said, Man, you won't believe it. This place is great. Look at these grapes. And they brought back different different food and stuff from there. But the other Israelites, they were afraid. They were not strong and courageous at all. They were scared. And the only two that, that weren't were Joshua and Caleb, who said, Let's go in there. Let's take this land. God has promised it to us. So the ratio is one out of six. So five out of six believers said, it looks great, but we can't accomplish it. It would be great, but we can't do it. And it makes me wonder if the ratio is the same today, or is it even worse? We get to the edge of the promise and even send others in to check it out. What is it like really to live the the Christian life and sitting there And saying, there are just too many battles to fight to get there. Too much oppression. I don't think we can do it. And the scriptures say the Israelites stood there with Moses and and Aaron. And they're in the minority. Four men against a million or so people. Saying, come on, it's time to claim the promise. with, with, With Israel saying, let's stone these guys. Let's go back to Egypt. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. Our children are going to die, and the Canaanites are right there. Let's not forget the, about the Hittites and the Perizzites and all the other ites, the seven nations that we have to defeat if we go in there. And before it's all over, Israel will have to fight three major campaigns involving 30 battles that are that are documented, and they took what God had promised them, but since there were battles ahead. Israel became scared and said, no, I don't want to do that. You know, it sounds like my five-year-old when he doesn't want to do something. No, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. We're going through that at this point with him. He's got a strong will, and it's not a bad will, but it's it's strong there. And ever so often, he just decides, no, this is what I'm going to do, and and that right there, no, that's not it. And, you know, you have to go, excuse me, I'm the parent, you're the child. When I say, come here, you come here. You don't just get to say no. And it's the same way with God. So God in His anger is a father who's trying to bless His children. And the children are saying, we don't want your blessing. This is too hard. So God said, turn and go back into the wilderness. And He said to Moses, this generation will not see the promise. And in fact, if you turn to Numbers 14, I think it's around verse 30, it says, Not one of you will enter the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in and enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years "'suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lie in the desert. "'For forty years, one year for each of the forty days you explored the land, "'you will suffer your, you know, for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. "'I, the Lord, have spoken, and I surely will do these things to this whole wicked community.'" which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the desert. Here they will die. So Moses, in his obedience, led the children of Israel back into the wilderness. And Joshua and Caleb are two of these guys. And the book of Joshua starts at the end of that 40-year period. You could imagine the feeling that all of Israel, as a final member of that generation, dies. And the Lord tells them that Moses is dead. And he picks a, a new leader named Yeshua, or Joshua, who would who would lead Israel into the promise. But a year or two before this, Moses commissions Joshua to take over. In fact, in 30, Deuteronomy 31, um, it says, uh, Then Moses summoned Joshua, the son, uh, I mean, and said to him, In the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with the people into the land the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it amongst them as their inheritance. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And in the book of Numbers, it says that Moses gave the name Joshua to Joshua. In fact, his parents had named him Hosea or Hoshea, which is a beautiful name. It means he saves. But God inspired Moses and said it was more than just that. It was more than just he saves. We need to give him a new name. And he added the Yahweh Jehovah to it. In the Greek, it became Yeshua, means Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. Not just he saves, but the Lord saves. Joshua points toward the, the New Testament name Jesus. It's the same name. It's, it's awesome how the Old Testament and the New Testament really interconnects and relates. And, and uh, you know how Joshua is leading them into the, the New Testament, I mean into the, the new pros, uh, promise. And how Jesus is going to uh, lead us right into the, the promised land for us, which is heaven itself. So now we read and study this book. And the name is the same. And we have to stop and often think and ask, Jesus, what does this teach me about you? And right here's the answer. Like I just said, I will lead you into the promise. I am the leader. I will fight for you. I will do battle for you. Jesus is our leader, and He's the leader of the church. And this is exemplified in what Joshua becomes for Israel as he's the leader and leads them into battle with, with God's blessing. Moses and the law could only get them across the wilderness. And it was Joshua who led them into the promised land. Okay, well, let's go back and look at a few verses. In verse one, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now, just out of curiosity, how old do you think Joshua was at this time? How many of you say, like twenty or maybe thirty or forty or fifty? Maybe 60, 70, maybe even older, 80 plus. If you do the math, coming out of Egypt, he was around 20. So now he would have been somewhere around 60. Josephus, the Jewish historian from the time of Christ, says he was about 80. We're not really sure somewhere in there, but Joshua and Caleb are the oldest people in the country. Everyone else is younger. So Joshua and Caleb must have, you know, had to stick together because they're the only ones that get the jokes. You know, there's a lot of 80s words that, that uh, you know, my wife and I understand and, and we say it around our kids and stuff and they don't quite get it. They just kind of look at us like we're, we're odd, which we are, I get that. But, you know, when we use the words, when, when my brother and I, uh, when I first moved out to California, I was a youth pastor and my brother moved out and lived with us uh, for a while. And uh, while he was here, we would start teaching kids words that we grew up with that they didn't grow up with. And we get the youth group saying it all the time. It was pretty funny. It was just a big experiment for us. Uh, you know, but, but these two guys, they're the only ones that got their, their jokes, you know? Now, Joshua starts a process of, of uh, being, you know, the guy in charge. The one is supposed to have all the answers. And many of you can relate to this. All of a sudden, you're in charge of something, of a company or, or your family or, or the business or, or your department, and Moses was such a great mentor to Joshua. And he will really miss Moses. But now is it's the time for him to lead. And the Lord says, go. God has, has wanted to bless them for 40 years. And now He gets to give that blessing to them. I'm convinced that the Lord wants to bless us bless you and me. I mean, really bless us, but we're constantly blocking that you know, blessing that God has for us with sin. You know, They were in the wilderness because of disobedience and fear, their, their unwillingness to obey the Lord. Two of the things I think Joshua would say to us today is this, enjoy your mentors while they're around because one day they're not going to be there. One day, You'll be, the only, you'll be the one that, that everyone looks to. So be willing to go where God wants you, or you'll end up back in the desert. So in verse 2 it says, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now one thing I want to point out is this. In the first part of Joshua, the Lord uses this concept, I have already given it to you, or... I'm about to give it to you. They already own the land. They just don't occupy it yet. But they will discover these are two completely different things, owning the land and actually occupying the land. Two different things. The great thing about the wilderness is there's not a lot of enemies out there in that wilderness. But once you come out of the wilderness time, there are a lot of battles to fight. And when you enter into these battles, sometimes it's hard Because it's hand-to-hand combat. And sometimes in in the middle of the promised land battle, we look around and say, is is this really the promised land? Is this really what the Lord is giving me? Give me a break. I'm fighting more and more now than I ever have. In order for us to occupy what God has given us, we also have to learn the balance. The balance of completely and totally relying on God, but also stepping out in self-confidence. And some of us never get there. You know, what's interesting is I, my, my oldest boy, uh, Brandon, he's nine now. He's kind of a conundrum sometimes because he's very conservative when it comes to stepping out and doing certain things. But then he'll t- totally surprise me because he'll try something. Like he'll be like watching somebody bungee jump and he'll be just like, oh, I would, no, I'd never do that. Or somebody jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, he'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Yet we go camping and there's this big tree and a big rope and it hangs over this 20-foot drop and he runs and he grabs onto it and swings out over the drop and then comes back. I mean, it's kind of interesting. He, he's, you know, he has enough self-confidence to try certain things, but he also knows, hey, I, that, no, he knows his limit, I guess. But, but you know, the Israelites... They need to step out on their you know, self-confidence. They need to learn that balance of completely relying on God and then doing what God says. And unfortunately, some of us never get there because Israel had to go and take what God had given them. And it was a daily battle. To, you know, it was a daily battle to, to know, is this the time when God wants me to sit back and, and let Him take over and win the battle? Or, or is He calling me, hey, get up, get out there, it's your turn, get off the bench. You know, it's time to claim what, what, what He's given us. We have to go to the Lord and figure out which is which and when. The Apostle Paul says, we see, we see through the glass darkly. Sometimes we we move out in self-confidence when we should be moving back cautiously in prayer. And prayer is the key to know when to move forward and when to sit still. Some of us are on the edge of the promise in our lives. And you are relating to this really well in regards to marriage and work and where to serve the Lord. I encourage you to, to seek the Lord as Joshua would have in order to know do I go forwards or do I go backwards? You will see Israel do both while receiving the promise. And based on whatever edge of the promise you, you're standing at, the Lord would like to speak to you directly, to advise you. He says to, to Joshua, I'm going to speak to you like I spoke to Moses. And, you, and some of us can relate to Joshua. The Lord would say, I have an ability to relate and talk to you. Do you have the ability to... To hear me, and Joshua will discover that sometimes it's harder to hear the voice of God, especially in the middle of the battle, compared to Sinai, or in the tent of meeting where it's so much easier. I mean, it's one on one; it's right there. In order for you to claim the promise He has for you, you've got to be able to hear His voice. And some people are like, "Well, Pastor Allen, I I, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like." Well, there are ways to hear God. First of all, you can hear, hear Him through His Word, through fellowship and, and Bible study and prayer, start to get comfortable about what God's voice does sound like. For Joshua, he learned this by hanging out with Moses, without God even directly talking to him. But he talked to Moses and, and he watched. So the question is, who are you hanging around? Are you hanging around with somebody who has a great prayer life or or reads the Word of God or, or, you know, talks about God? Are you hungry to hear the voice of God? If not, then guess what? You're not going to hear His voice. I mean, I hate to say that, but you're not. Too easy to let someone else do it, to not press on. Let someone else just kind of spoon-feed you. It's just too easy to do. But only those who are hungry will really be fed and hear the voice of God. Maybe the Lord wanted you to hear this this morning, to to pray this prayer. Lord, I want to seek your face. I want to touch you. Lord, I want to hear your voice. And once you hear it, you will know it. And often God is looking to speak directly to us because He's calling us into a promise. Sometimes we don't want to hear it because we know what He'll say. Sometimes it's stop doing what you're doing. Do something else. See, the great thing about God is He won't give you something that you can't stop doing. He won't give you something that you can't be able to to go into the promise and take. In other words, He's there with you. Well, let's keep moving on. Verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates all the Hittite country and the great sea to the west on the west no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses so I will be with you I will never leave you nor forsake you and now if you had a bible map you could you could see where you know what God had promised Abraham all those years before what the Lord had promised Abraham and and how he repeated all these promises. It's in an area of about 300,000 square miles. That's a lot of miles. God promised Israel all the way from Egypt to the Euphrates, all the way to the Great Sea. At the height of David's reign, the the greatest king of Israel, they only had control over about 30,000 square miles. They only took about one-tenth... Of what God had promised them. In a sense, this is much like us. Nine tenths of of what God promised, they never entered into. And as we study and we, we, we learn, we have to ask ourselves why didn't they just go ahead and take everything that God gave them? Especially when they were winning battle after battle and after battle, and then they just settled for less. And we also have to ask ourselves. How different would it have been for God's people if they would have claimed what God gave them? World history would look totally different today than what it does. The Lord says in verse 3, I will give you every place where your foot steps. Wherever they walked, God was going to bless them. He is saying, not only am I I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to go with you, but you have to go there also. And there's going to be battles. And and, there, you know, and this is true for us also. Wherever we walk, it's for something for us to claim. Lord, I, I claim this time for you. I claim this direction for you. And the Lord's going to be there with us. Unless it's something that totally goes against God, so don't claim. Uh, I'm not saying name it and claim it type of stuff, but I'm just saying don't go into a negative situation and go, "Well, Lord, I know you're here. You're going to be with me, you know, in this uh, in this rebellion that I'm doing, you know, in the drinking that I'm doing, or or the <coughs> stepping out on my my spouse or whatever. I know you're right here in the middle. No, God's not going to bless that. Don't don't claim something like that." Now, God did not promise us land like the Israelites. But there's application. Wherever you walk as my people, there is something there for you. And you have to go and you have to claim it. There are no shortcuts. The wisest Christians have gone there. In verse 5 it says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to the forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Now, the Lord keeps repeating the phrase, be strong and And courageous. You get the sense that he needs to encourage Joshua. He needs to hear this. As talented as Joshua was, he felt inadequate, incredible talent, but needed that reassurance. And some of you are just like this, incredibly talented in multiple areas, and you could do so many different things and go in so many different directions. But when you were on the edge of the promised land, that fear You will have, sometimes can be a good thing, but it also can stop you from entering into the promise. And if you don't feel fear, then you're probably not walking in faith in a sense. But, you know, but God says, give that fear to Him. If you were so confident, you probably can't even relate to what I'm saying. But if you are standing on the edge of that promise or been there before, you know what I'm saying. You feel that inadequacy and fear that, that, that something inside of you. And the Lord is saying, this is what I, I have for you. And this is what I also have for you. But be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid and do what I ask you to do. Enter into that. You know, I was thinking about Joshua and how weird it would have been to fill Moses' shoes or his sandals. One of the greatest leaders to ever live in human history and for Joshua to have to, to wear the name tag that says, I am not Moses. <laughs> well, Moses did it this way. Well, I am not Moses. Well, Moses, I am not Moses. It had to be weird. Even Moses' death was dramatic. He goes up to the top of the mountain and dies, you know. And now Joshua was having to be that guy, the, to be the one in charge. Moses has been in charge for 40 years, and Joshua was comfortable being number two. It's easy being the number two guy. You make some decisions, but you don't have to worry. I love the the last time I went on a mission trip. I went on the Philippines uh, mission trip w- uh, with uh, uh, you know our church and Pastor Lewis. And Pastor Lewis was was in charge, uh, and I just went along and and hopefully we'll you know we'll have a group from our church to go this next summer. But I tell you, it was the best trip for me. I just sat back and had fun, and I was just there to support whatever you need me to do, Pastor Lewis. I'll do that. I get up and I taught the word a couple of times and did this and led different groups and stuff but i didn't have to worry you know sometimes on mission trips when when i'm in charge and i've done um you know i've gone all over the world and and stuff and been in charge in different places but sometimes you get to the point where you can't stand your name why alan 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 you know and you're just like ah, leave me alone for five minutes no, you don't need to know that right now. And Pastor Lewis and I uh, were, were laughing about this uh, on the trip because he was kind of getting that every so often. Uh, not necessarily that trip. It was a smaller group, but on bigger trips, we kind of, you know, talked about that kind of stuff. But it, it's easy to be the number two guy. But now Joshua, he becomes the number one guy, and he knows how fickle the people of God are. Some here who who understand... Sometimes it's easier to have a, a, a nine-to-five job. And, and uh, you know, I kind of understand this from the standpoint of, of dealing with church and, and so forth because there are so many different attitudes on what you should choose to do. Right now, you get judged if you're online only. If you're a pastor and you make a decision like we have to stay online only, there are people outside your church that judge you. There are other pastors that judge you. There are church members that judge you on, whether, on your decision to stay online only. Now, we've talked about coming back in October. Now, when we do that, some people will judge you, whether you're doing an outside thing in the breezeway or whether we go into the sanctuary. Guess what? People will judge us Either way, people in the church, people outside the church are going to judge all of that. Sometimes it's easier just to show up to church and enjoy church and not have to be the guy in charge. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to give you an idea. This is what Joshua would have been dealing with. I could imagine Joshua saying, you're not going to let them treat me like they treated Moses, are you? And the Lord kind of getting that, that half smile, I don't don't worry about that. But Lord, how about, you know, someone more their own age, somebody that they can relate to? No, I, I want you to do this, Joshua. This should have been, this would have been very intimidating for him. And the Lord is saying to him, here's the key. And he said this a couple of times, study the word. And here's the word that Joshua had, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and a few Psalms written by Moses. That was it. And He said, study it and communicate it to everyone else. And as you do this, I will teach you how to lead and enter into that promise. And I think about Monday morning for you, and the whole week that God has planned out for you, and the Word's the same. God would say, study My Word. And then when you go fight that battle at work, or at school, or at your job, or you know, at, where, wherever you go, whatever battles you have, I will speak to you. I will be with you in that battle. But whatever, wherever you go, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. That's what God is saying to us. Be strong and courageous. And courageous. And how can we be strong and courageous? When we study His Word, when we get to know Him, and we understand that He is with us in that battle. Whatever you are going through, be strong and courageous because God is with you, and don't forget that. I want to say most of the time we do. Most of the time we don't bring God into a situation, but we need to. We need to pray for that. Go to God, tell him the situation. He goes, "Uh uh-huh, I already know about that, but I'm glad you brought it up. Let me tell you how I want to handle it. And he'll give you insight. He'll give you knowledge. And he'll be with you in whatever happens. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for showing us leaders like Joshua. But at the same time, you're, you're going to him saying, be strong and courageous. And you don't just say it once. You don't just say it twice. You say it over and over to him. Be strong and courageous like he needed it. And Lord, we need to hear that. We need to understand that. We need to understand that you're with us in these battles, that we are not alone. I pray, Lord, for anybody out there that, that feels alone, that would, you would show them that we are here for them and your spirit is here for them. And you will walk beside them in everything that they do if they seek you, if they want to hear from you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face be, you know, shine down upon you and be gracious to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.